Guys, I recently started using Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish and explore some new languages. Believe it or not, growing up, my grandpa spoke fluent Mandarin, and I was always very jealous of him when he would surprise people by busting it out at a restaurant. It was very unexpected to see this man speak fluent Mandarin. Learning another language is an amazing skill, and Rosetta Stone makes it easy to do it. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted expert for 30 years, with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's also a great value. I personally got the Lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, so I'm pretty much set. I recommend doing the same. And also, this is a really, really great gift if you want to give something truly special and unique to somebody you care about a lot. No matter what, don't put off learning that language any longer. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, other world listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com otherworld. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. I'm really excited about this episode. It was one of the first stories I really wanted to do for this show when I began first coming up with the idea for Otherworld. Uh, so I've been thinking about it for a long time and trying to get the storyteller to talk about it for a long time. This episode is a really important one to me because I think it's going to touch on some themes that will serve as a big step forward for certain people in opening their mind to these topics or at least providing a good framework for people to how, to how to look at the paranormal and to interpret these stories. Everyone's had good or bad times in their life, but generally speaking, most people are fortunate enough to never have to go through a real horrible tragedy. They don't have to experience that ever. I mean, the type of thing that's so bad or hard that your friends can't even give you advice about it. They can't even pretend to understand how you feel. The type of thing that they don't make books about how to get through. That type of bad. Most people just don't have to go through something like that. Thankfully. They never have anything like that happen to them. But anyone who has gone through something like that knows how it changes you. It changes how you look at everything. And it makes you realize how fragile life is and how it can all really fall apart in an instant and take you to a place that there's no fully going back from. When you go through that, it's not that it makes it easier to believe in the paranormal. I think it's just that it makes you realize how little we all know and how lots of us just walk around 
as if we know everything. And when you go through something like that, it kind of changes the way you look at people and you start to recognize that type of person and how foolish that type of person really is. The person that thinks they know everything because you really don't, you really don't. Even if you are just talking about what's going to happen to you next. What I'm trying to say is everyone's reality and lived experience is very different. You never know what somebody else has gone through or how little you've gone through yet yourself. This story is from a person who's gone through a lot. I want to thank him for telling me this story because I know it's something that's very difficult to talk about. I think you guys are going to really like this story. It's not a scary one, but it's a very powerful one, and I'm very grateful to have it. This episode is called My Brother's Keeper. It's episode eight, and you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? It's Bobby? Yes, it is. We're still, you still rolling? Yeah, let us, let us know when you're ready. Okay, okay. That's a fail for now. Ask some questions. you just tell me someone the Pacific Islands get creepy, superstitious? This is a, a story about... I'm John, and this happened when I was 13. Uh, I had older brother, my older brother, Andy. Like, he was someone that I looked up to, like, my whole life. And he was really cool. Like, we would always do things together. And he was 18, um, so and I was 13. So there was, a, like, a five-year difference. Um, but growing up, you know, as a young kid, I always thought he was, you know, super cool. You know, and even from the time I was a real little kid, he kind of never got annoyed with me. Like, he always kind of included me under his wing. Like, he would bring me on dates, like, first dates that he was going on with uh, girls. And, you know, telling them that my mom, like, made him take me. But we had worked out a code, and so if he didn't like the date or wasn't going well, like, I would cause, you know, trouble for him to be like, oh, you know, I have to take him home, I'm sorry. But he's also the one that kind of just really got me into music, you know. Growing up with, you know, an older brother like that, you know, was great. We would do kind of, like, weekly movie nights, especially, like, once, you know, we got older and he got in high school in his senior year, you know, he was really busy, so we didn't hang out as much, but he made sure... Um, that, you know, once a week, you know, we would, you know, go do something together. And so it was often movies. Um, this happened back, I was 13, so 97. Um, me and him were on our way to a movie and we got into a car accident, uh, hit by a drunk driver. Um, and then, you know, next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital. I remember a lot of confusion. Um not knowing where it was. It was kind of like, you know, waking up in that fight or flight mode. From what I was told, the first time I woke up, um, they had to sedate me right away just because, you know, I was panicking. And then, you know, next time it was just kind of, you know, waking up, but just really groggy, confused. And this was like, the first time I woke up was about like two or three days after the accident. You know, in that day, like I have little kind of like bursts, um, of memory, like I just, you know, remember kind of, you know, seeing people I didn't know come in, people coming in and talking to me, but just, 
you know, my memory of them talking to me is kind of like the um, Charlie Brown, like, teachers, where it was just kind of, you know, sounds like a, you know, trombone, where I see them talking but cannot understand anything they're saying. I feel worn out, like, I'm confused, I'm hurt, like, I'm just going to close my eyes, you know, and then, you know, when I wake up, like, it'll be completely different. Like, you know, this is just a dream. Like, you know, let me sleep and, you know, wake up again and everything will be fine type thinking. I knew I was injured. You know, I felt pain. I was, you know, laying down. I wasn't, like, propped up. So it wasn't, like, look down and see. So I had pain in my leg. I didn't think that it was gone because I could still feel it. You know, it felt, you know, I had a cast on my other leg, but... You know, they felt pretty similar, like, in terms of pain level. To me, until they said something, um, I didn't realize it. You know, and then I think it was, like, the doctor that was kind of, you know, was explaining kind of my injuries and how serious they were and having to amputate. And, you know, that was, I think, when it kind of really started um, kind of sinking in, like, wait, what? And then finding out that, oh, what I'm feeling, like, that's just, you know, that's what's called phantom pain. Like, you know, even though it feels like the leg's there, like, it's not. It's just, you know, my brain, you know, playing tricks and, you know, the nerves not knowing how to handle it and kind of sending different signals to the brain. You know, when I did, you know, realize it and found out, it was, that was super overwhelming. And that's probably one of the first times that, you know, I kind of really um, just freaked out and just couldn't handle things and they had to um, sedate me because you know heart rate was going up and you know I was just kind of panicking you know as a kid you know I played you know soccer on the travel soccer teams and you know I was pretty active so you know finding out that you know I lost my leg it was just like well what's going to happen now like I can't do what I used to do um, so yeah that was an adjustment you know this isn't a dream like this is real you know, this is something that's actually happening. So when I woke up that first night, like, um, I knew it was kind of, um, you know, more of night uh, because things were kind of dark, the lights were lower, but it was a lot quieter, which was nice. You know, things, you know, were a little better to allow me to just kind of, you know, come to terms and think about, like, everything going on and, when I was doing that, I looked over and saw Andy sitting uh, next to me. And, you know, that made me feel even more at ease, um, knowing that he was there and, you know, time thinking that, oh, everything's going to be okay. Like, Andy's here. Um, you know, he's, you know, with him around, like, I'm definitely going to, you know, get through this all. You know, he's always been the person who I looked up to. So, you know, he'll help me through all this. You know, this is just you know, one, one hump in life to get over. Uh, and so, you know, I saw him there and turned and looked at him and, you know, he looked at me and, you know, he was just like, you know, I know you're scared, but, you know, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. Um, and, you know, I kind of repeated that to myself and, you know, we just kind of, I don't remember fully everything we talked about, but, you know, I know it was just kind of like general chit-chat, just kind of um, calming and, you know, him sitting down, you know, sitting there in, you know, T-shirt and shorts. And it was the first time I really felt at ease. 
the first time I really thought to myself, well, maybe things are kind of going to be okay. The next day, um, like my parents were in the hospital visiting, you know, Andy's probably at school, um, you know, because my sister wasn't around, you know, my youngest sister. So I thought, oh, they're probably at school. Um, and so it was just a lot of kind of, you know, general talk with my parents. Um, it was harder with my mom around because, you know, my mom was kind of, you know, crying and, you know, bringing And so that was just kind of giving me anxiety too. Um, so I just remember just wanting more to kind of be by myself. There was just that little, like, bitter thought, like, I'm the one that's going through this. Like, why are you taking this so hard? Like, with my mom's kind of reaction to everything. And so I remember, like, just wanting to be more kind of alone. And they were probably there for most of the day, so it was probably around dinner time that they left. Um, and then again, that night when I woke up, middle of the night, Andy was there. And, you know, he was wearing the same outfit but again it was the same kind of chat that you know him telling me you know everything's going to be fine like everything's going to be okay you know we'll, you'll get through this like you know you're strong I remember you know asking him you know is he okay you know what exactly happened in the accident um you know how did he kind of make it out you know and him just giving general, like, just real general answers, you know, not really answering the question, you know, asking him, like, how he's doing, you know, him saying that, you know, he's just more concerned with how I'm doing. Um, I think I might have asked him, like, you know, where he was that day, you know, why he, you know, hadn't come in, you know, to visit later, why he's only been coming in at night to visit. Yeah, the questions were never answered. It was just the Kind of his answers were dancing around um, and kind of coming back to him talking about just wanting to make sure I'm okay. After, you know, we talked a bit, you know, um, just kind of laying there, you know, in like comfortable silence and, you know, falling asleep, you know, waking up that next day. Later, it was probably around lunchtime that my parents came in again and asking them like, oh, why hasn't Andy been visiting with you? Like, and when I first asked that, like, they just kind of looked at each other, but didn't say anything. And I was just like, well, you know, why has he been coming at night? Like, you know, why can't you all come in and visit together um, instead of separately? And, you know, that's when my dad kind of, you know, was just like, wait, what did you say? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and ex I explained about Andy coming at night, you know, and talking to me. And I wish... Like, he could come during, you know, the day with my parents. And that's when, you know, my mom kind of broke down. Um, and that's when, you know, my dad had said, like, you know, no, like, that's not possible. Like, Andy died in the accident. Like, that's why he hasn't been here. And, you know, that's when things just, to me, in my mind, got just so super confusing. It's just like, well, no, like... That's not true. Like, he's been here visiting. Like, we've talked. And I just kind of, you know, broke down. Like, I was kind of panicking. Like, that was the second time that I really had to be um, sedated. Um, you know, just because 
it was just way too much and so overwhelming. Um, and so that's, you know, the next time I really remember is kind of the day after that. Um, you know, my dad, you know, it was just my dad visiting. My mom wasn't there. And, you know, he had talked to me and, you know, explained more about what happened and showed me newspaper, you know, talking about how, like, Andy had passed away. It just wasn't kind of clicking. Like, I, you know, saw that and thought, okay. But then it was just like, but no, he was visiting me. And so it was just like, you know, part of me accepted it, but then part of me didn't. Because it's just like, I know what I experienced and I know that I talked to him, but, you know, realizing that, well, the things that we talked about and the things that he'd said and that mantra that he would always tell me, like, you know, that kind of helped me go on and thinking like, well, I got this second chance. Like, I need to kind of push through what's happening. You know, I need to get through this, you know, so I can live for myself, but then also make Andy proud. Because um, that's what he would want me to do. Like, he wouldn't want me just to, you know, sit and dwell and just be unhappy about life. Because that's what he would pretty much say. Like, everything's going to be fine. Like, everything's going to be okay. Like, you can do this. So just remembering that is kind of what helped set the pace for kind of, like, moving forward um, and kind of getting through it all. You know, after that, it was just a lot of... Um, I was probably in a hospital a total of, like two months, two and a half months, but it was just a lot of kind of, you know, healing and just kind of, you know, mentally moving forward. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of physical therapy and, you know, that's when the mantra really kind of came back with Andy's words about kind of when doing physical therapy, you know, everything's going to be fine, you know, just kind of keep going. Nowadays, like, there's so much more visibility with, you know, people who are disabled or amputees whereas you know back then like you know for the longest time I didn't know anyone else that was like me you know missing a limb like so it was definitely like hard because I didn't have anyone that I could be like oh you know they know how I'm feeling you know they know what I'm going through you know when I have told a few people you know people often say well you know you did have a head injury so you know and that it was you know, your imagination or just, you know, your consciousness trying to kind of cope with what was going on. But so it's always been kind of all these different kind of answers, kind of, you know, that people have used to try and explain, you know, when I've told them about, I know what happened to me. Like, you know, this is my experience. Like, you know, part of my mind says, like, you trying to take that away from me, you know, it's just like you trying to kind of take that, like, hope, you know, and those words that you would say to me at night that I kind of made my kind of philosophy, like, you know, you're trying to take that away? Like, you know, I thought you were a friend type thing. You know, and I know they don't mean it in that way. You know, but sometimes it's hard not to take it that way. I realized that, you know, he was kind of giving me what I needed when I needed it. So in a way, like, he was always there and always with me, you know, when I would just kind of think back on that phrase and that mantra that kind of became my mantra. Yeah, I mean, there were times where, you know, I would swear that I would see, you know, um, you know, at different moments, different times, like, where I would swear I'd see him kind of, like, you know, in the distance, but knowing, like, oh, you know, that's just someone who looked like him or, you know, that's just... 
um, you know, my imagination, you know, but it wasn't like, oh, he's there, you know, he's around. It was just kind of little moments where it's just kind of like, in a way, I think it might have been like little reminders that, hey, you know, I'm still around, you're not in this alone. All right, Jack here. I just thought I'd jump in and talk for a second because even though I love this story and it's amazing, that part that he just talked about really frustrates me when he mentioned these people that he would tell about this experience. He'd tell them about the experience and their first instinct is to question it or say that it's not real. That is so weird to me. And I think it's a very... It's a weird reaction, and I think it's an arrogant reaction. These people know nothing about this person or what he's gone through. He's gone through so much more than they could ever even imagine, probably more than they'll ever even go through in their life. And it's so strange to immediately question this person's lived experience, let alone say that it's not real, because at a certain point, how would you even define that? Because... It sounds pretty real to me. It sounds actually probably one of the most real things that's ever happened to John, if I had to take a guess. And, you know, he lost his leg. He lost his own brother and his family got torn apart. And he had this amazing experience and an opportunity to see his brother a couple more times. I mean, it's so weird to be a person that like your first instinct is to try to take that away from him in some way. It's very weird. And... There are people like that, and I, I think part of the reason I'm doing this show is to try to get rid of that instinct. Even if you're skeptical about something, you know, you could definitely keep that to yourself because um, sometimes it's a really stupid thought. <laughs> it's, you sound like an idiot. I've talked to John at length about this, and you know, he's talked to me about the times in the hospital that were very blurry to him and confusing, and then, of course, the times where he would wake up and be very clear-headed, including the times that he visited his parents during the day. Um, and he said that these visits with Andy were very much clear-headed waking experiences. He would wake up very lucid, and this would happen. He knows it's real. That No part of him thinks this was some kind of weird dream. But you know what? Even if it was, who cares? <laughs> I don't think it matters. It's a person's lived experience, and this is a very important one to him. So I just wanted to drive that point home. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing story, but I think another important point of it is that I think the, we really need to adjust the way we look at people's lived experience, and especially the way people are very, very quick to give their uninvited personal opinions about it. So I'm going to let John continue on with the story, but I just wanted to say that. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. I've said before that I do not get scared while making this show, but what does scare me is having to log into my bank account or pay attention to my personal finances in any way. I know that's bad, and I know that it does not make sense, but... Legitimately, what has recently helped me is using Rocket Money. It's a personal finance app that takes all of your accounts, organizes it into one place, and helps you get everything under control. 
I feel a lot better using it and I'm no longer stressed. Also, Rocket Money finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I'm not kidding when I say that I recently discovered that me and my graphic designer, Colin, were getting charged $150 a month by a design service we didn't even realize we were paying for. I wish that was a joke. Sadly, it's true. We canceled it and are no longer paying for this. Thanks to Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. That's rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology, and Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, getting out of the hospital definitely made it seem a lot more real. Um, you know, because now it's just like, oh, you're in the real world. Um, you know, trying to get back to how things were. It was definitely kind of more of an adjustment and became more real. You know, moving around the real world and not just, you know, the hospital where, especially with like physical therapy, they make things, you know, easier and more comfortable for you. Um so I think that's when, you know, the full and real adjustment to everything kind of started. And then the family had moved to Iowa. Um, it was like a way to kind of start over. In a way, like, that was good because I didn't have, you know, people who knew me my whole life. And now, you know, after the accident, you know, seeing me different, you know, moving to Iowa, you know, people just seeing me how... I was then and not knowing everything and pitying or um, asking questions or people who didn't quite know about the accident, asking things like, you know, how my brother's doing, you know, so in a way it was kind of nice to have that fresh start. I always felt that he must be watching over me, you know, just because I couldn't see him doesn't mean he isn't around. Um... So I was kind of felt that, you know, no matter what, you know, he was still there for me. You know, having kind of, you know, those down moments or, you know, depression about anything, you know, I always kind of used the idea and, you know, his memory as kind of strength to kind of pick me back up again. I got a second chance at life. And so it was just like, I want to live it to the fullest for me, but also for him. So... Years later, I was um, engaged to um, this girl, and she dealt with bipolar. And I didn't realize at the time, but she had gone off her meds. Uh, I had been at work all day, and I'd come home and found her just sitting on the couch. And TV was on, but volume down. You know, I could tell that something was kind of on her minds. You know, something was going on, and, you know... She is bipolar, and so I thought, you know, oh, you know, she must be kind of dealing with, you know, a downward turn in terms of her feelings. And so, you know, I had asked her what was going on, and she had told me that earlier in the day, 
she, when going to the gas station, um, just went into a really downward manic episode. And, you know, all she could think about was just walking into traffic. And she said that she went to take a step and then kind of felt someone grab her and pull her back on the sidewalk and looked around and saw this kid, you know, who was kind of like, you know, a late teen. And she started describing the kid in person. And and I was just like, kind of got me thinking, because then the description sounded really familiar. Then when she said the, you know, what he was wearing, you know, a blue t-shirt that said Jenks on it. I was kind of got my blood running cold in a way because it was just, I felt like I knew who it was that helped her. Uh, and so, so Jenks was the school that um, me and my brother um, and also my sister, you know, had gone to when we lived in Philly. Um, and this took place in Delaware. Like, me and my fiancé were living in Delaware at the time, so, you know, the chances of someone else wearing a Jenks shirt, I think, would be very slim. So, um, she had said that, you know, she went, you know, and turned around to say thanks to the person, and the person wasn't there anymore, and she couldn't see where he went. So, um... Next time we were at my parents' house, you know, we went into the basement, you know, and went through boxes, you know, that had family photos um, and found a picture of my brother and showed it to her. And her face just got kind of pale and she got quiet. And she kind of looked and she said that that was who she saw, that, you know, she just couldn't understand, like, how um, that picture of my brother, who she hadn't seen a picture of before, she got super confused on how that could have been the person who really saved her. My parents' way of dealing with the trauma and everything, um, I mean, losing a brother was hard. I can't imagine losing a child. But my parents' way of dealing with it was to kind of remove, you know, the family photos that he was in she had never seen pictures of him because there weren't any pictures up around the house. Um, so when we went into the basement, you know, looking through the boxes to find some of the photos, um, when I found the photo and showed it to her, it was the first time she had seen a f picture of my brother. At the time, just the kind of look of shock on her face when she saw the photo, you know, is what? made me believe her um, because I don't think someone can be like that good of an actor you know in that moment she you know was saying things that you know just proves that you know he's still here looking out for you you know and looking out for those around you including her now philosophically like you know I've gotten to the point where you know, especially now that it's been, like, you know, 25 years later, where I know that, like, 
you know, I trust my own experiences. I trust myself. You know, I know myself like I know myself. I know what I saw. You know, I know what I've been through. You know, so if someone, you know, has an issue with me or with anything, you know, like sharing an experience, well, that's their issue. You know, I talk to people who are kind of like, you know, naysayers or just like, oh, that couldn't have happened or, oh, you must have imagined it. But just trying to kind of diminish accomplishments too, you know, people are always just kind of, you know, gonna often put other people down, you know, or kind of doubt other people just so they can feel better about themselves type thing. And just in, you know, the grand scheme of things, you know, this experience isn't even like, you know, a big part, you know, of everything. Like, it's something I went through. It's something that helped me. But, you know, in terms of everything I've gone through with life, with kind of losing my leg and just dealing with everything, um, you know, now doing, you know, my own, you know, working hard to do my own art full time. Um, there's just been so many other like bigger things that in a way that have happened in my life. So it's just kind of funny that people kind of, in a way, doubt, you know, something that helped me and just kind of a small part when there's bigger things that I've kind of done and, you know, gone through and dealt with that I would think would be more attention grabbing in a way. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, I can't, I can honestly say, like, I've never actually sat and thought about, like, you know, what this was. Like, to me, it was just, you know, an experience and something that I had. But I've never actually, like, thought, oh, how did this happen? Or, you know, what was this that was happening? What I went through was a lot. Like, it was stuff that I wouldn't wish on, you know, people I hate, you know, or an enemy. Like, if I didn't have that support, like, I don't know where I would be now, you know, or if I would be here now. Like, so with people who are kind of skeptical or naysayers, I just kind of remind myself, like, they never went through what I went through. They haven't gone through even anything similar. So, of course, they can't understand it, you know, or kind of empathize with how I feel. So it's just like, I just kind of take comfort in the fact that, like, you know, I went through this, I survived this, like I was stronger and I was stronger, you know, in part by what happened. All right. Thank you, John, so much for telling us that story. I know it was really difficult one to talk about. So... Really, thank you for telling us that. That was incredible. One of my favorite stories. Not all of these paranormal stories need to be bad or scary. Um, that was a, a really nice one. Uh, probably, so, probably some of you needed that after the last few episodes. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope it had some good lessons in there to be learned because I think the way people react to these topics is not so great sometimes. And 
part of what I'm doing with this show is to hopefully open people's minds a little bit or at least at least help them understand and maybe learn a way a framework of looking at this stuff or even just accepting and understanding that people have gone through stuff that you could never understand or never know. Everybody has had a very, very different lived experience. And a lot of the most intense stuff that they've gone through, they're not going to talk about with you. They might not talk about with anybody. It might be something that they keep secret. So it's just worth keeping that in mind when you think about running your mouth about how much you know about somebody else's lived experience. And especially if you're going to talk about their life as if you know about it better than them. So something worth considering when moving through the world and talking to people, especially when it comes to talking to somebody else about their own personal lived experience and perhaps not invalidating that to the people that you meet. So with that being said, that brings us to the end of this episode Once again, I want to thank John for telling us that story. And I also want to officially dedicate this episode to the memory of John's brother, Andy. On behalf of Otherworld, rest in peace, Andy. And thank you, John, so much for telling us that story. My name is Jack Wagner. This episode is called My Brother's Keeper, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Cobra Man. The soundtrack of this episode is by North Americans. Editing and engineering by Theo Schaefer. The artwork for our show is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. Once again, this is an independent show, so please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at OtherworldPod on Twitter and Instagram. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us your story at stories at otherworldpod.com. Folks, one more thing. If you liked this episode, please help me out by spreading the word. Tell your friends about Otherworld. Leave us a review. It's been helping a lot. The show's been growing, which has been super exciting to see, but still needs to get bigger. So please help me out, and thank you so much for helping me out already.